or is it really not fulfilling because it's not your purpose and it's not your passion? And so I, I, I think that's a really important skill to develop. And obviously I'm still working on it every, every single day um, because it, it, it's easy to be like, oh man, that's not fun. I shouldn't do this anymore. Well, you're right. It's not, it's not fun. But is it a necessary component to being fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the important piece to, to keep in mind um, because, yeah, uh, fulfillment is not – you know, is is not always easy or fun or convenient by any means. Um, but yeah. at the end of the day, when you do have that fulfillment, it's much it's it's much deeper than just fun. You know, we always talk about fun being a very surface level uh, feeling, and mm-hmm. and fulfilling being much deeper. And I, I think that's where a lot of people get lost. And Welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever their curiosity takes them. In today's episode, we are joined by Michael Hedgensick. He's currently the assistant swim coach for the University of Northern Iowa. On top of this, he's also the founder and director of the Panther Academy for Water Safety. Michael has his master's in special education and taught special education for several years. He's also served for, as a consultant for the Auburn University for Pediatric Movic and the Physical Activity Lab. And he's recently been the author of a published paper on adaptive tennis. His mission is to provide high quality and social equitable adaptive sports and activities for programming for individuals with special needs. And that was a mouthful. And we cover much of this in this conversation. Some highlights from this conversation is what it's like creating adaptive programs for special needs people from anywhere from autism or autism spectrum to Down syndrome and other areas such as obesity and in general trying to provide access to moving well to just about everybody. He also shares his vision and why his he has this deep, deep purpose into adaptive movement programs, a the difference between fulfillment and fun and balancing life and understanding that there's not really a 50-50 split between work and play and lastly but not all alcohol and how it affects performance because being a swim coach he has to talk about it with his athletes and this episode was really a treat to be able to meet someone and just kind of jump into a conversation about what it is they're all about and without further ado everyone please enjoy this conversation with Michael Hedgensick. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. And today we're joined by Michael Hedgensick. Did I say that right? Uh, Hagensick. Hagensick. All right, cool. And um, so this is really a, a kind of a really fast podcast turnaround for me because I just kind of reached out to you on a close group of the Finding Mastery tribe, and I saw part of your story, and I thought it was really interesting and just wanted to learn more and highlight what it is that you're doing. And so take it away. Like, what is your background? And we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I'm very uh, excited that you reached out to me and excited to kind of share what we're doing. So, so yeah. Um, uh, so my background is in education and, uh, competitive uh, swimming. So, uh, I've been around, uh, education and teaching for 
basically my my whole life. My mom mm-hmm. was a teacher, is still in, involved in education. Um, uh, I actually started coaching swimming when I was fourteen with a little um, summer like park and rec team, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, I continued coaching and and so I, I swam um, all the way through high school. Swam a, a little bit in college, um, and then. Uh, I went to the University of Northern Iowa, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have a, a men's team, um, but I continued uh, coaching with a competitive club team um, in Cedar Falls, which is where UNI is, is located, um, and during that time, I was getting my elementary ed degree, um, so I was uh, I was coaching and, and finishing up my degree, uh, and then after that, I... Um, started teaching, um, at a, a local school, um, in the area, um, an inner city school, uh, fifth grade. Um, and then, um, during that time I was doing high school coaching, club coaching, uh, and then continued that when I took a job as a special education teacher in Waverly, uh, which is, um, just about, uh, 15, 20 minutes north of, uh, Cedar Falls. And, um, yeah, and that's where I really started to, um, get into, um, working with, uh, individuals with, with special needs. Um, okay. I, I started working with, um, uh, kids with moderate to severe disabilities and, and a really wide range. Um, you know, any, uh, kids with autism, mm-hmm. um, down syndrome, uh, cerebral palsy. Uh, so, and just, um, a, a pretty wide range. Um, and I was, I was there for a while and, you know, during that time, um, a a lot of the work I did, you know, we obviously did, um, academic work, um, but we also did a lot of life skills work. So, you know, we would do, um, you know, learning, you know, teach them how to, how to cook or personal hygiene or, um, you know, cleaning or, uh, you know, basically any sort of, um, activities for, for daily living and had a great opportunity to work with a lot of, um, great OTs and PTs and, and mm-hmm. speech paths. Um, and really, and really see that, that side of things also. And, um, and it was a great way to learn how to collaborate with a lot of different professionals. And, um, yeah. And then kind of during that time I was, um, uh, advising with a, a technology company that um, developed some uh, video modeling um, technology through an app, and um, through that relationship, uh, started uh, working um, with a with the Auburn University uh, Pediatric Movement and Physical Activity Lab, and they're amazing. Uh, wow. They do um, a lot of their research um, is uh, based around um, uh, curriculum design and implementation for adaptive sports and and physical uh, activities. And uh, they yeah they're awesome. Uh, one of the First things I, I really collaborated with them on was um, their Asian autism. Or yeah, it was Asian autism uh, research, and it's an, it's an adaptive tennis program for uh, individuals with autism, but also other developmental disabilities. And uh, that was a really great experience. Um, and I still uh, collaborate with them pretty frequently on on different projects. Um, but yeah, and then uh, and, I, and then so during that time, so in the past, let's see, this is my second year now at, at UNI. So mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, I was hired um, as the assistant uh, women's coach um, at the University of Northern Iowa for their for the women's swim team, um, and that um, really allowed me to, um, you know, uh, take my passion for competitive swimming, but then also um, open up. 
um, different avenues, um, for, you know, to pursue my other passions, um, which, uh, you know, was definitely working with individuals with, with special needs in the sport, you know, adaptive sports and physical activity world. Um, yeah. And so that, uh, really provided me the, the resources and time and, and flexibility to, um, you know, start an adaptive swim lesson program. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's kind of where, uh, where it led me to now. That's really cool. That's a, that's a really long and kind of windy path, you know, for kind of finding your passion of swimming, at least coaching swimming, uh, relatively early on, you know, to become a coach at 14 is kind of crazy. Um, for the average person, I would say most people would not even want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And it was, it was great. Cause you know, I, I think for me, you know, when I, when I kind of take a 30,000 foot view of, um, kind of the, the winding path I, I did take, what it, what it really boiled down to was I always wanted to be doing something with teaching and, and, and learning. Those are, if, if though, you know, if there's an essence to what I'm passionate about, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the learning process and, mm-hmm. and teaching. And, uh, there's obviously a thousand different avenues for, for doing that, you Absolutely. know, outside of just, um, you know, a pu- public school. So, um, yeah, so really, uh, you know, I, I've always just tried to, um, you know, really involve myself and, and opportunities for learning and, and teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely comes through just with the way you explain it too. Um, for one thing I would like to kind of unpack a little bit is like with teaching people with learning disabilities, like autism or even down syndrome and stuff like that. Can you, explain why you have to make programs specific for these kind of people, because I'm not, I know enough about autism, but I'm not sure as how, why it pertains to sports related as much, like why you have to design these programs differently than you would otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for individuals with autism and, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, autism spectrum disorder for, um, a reason because there's this a, a wide range mm-hmm. of kind of where, where, you know, what the needs of, of each in, individuals are. And, and that goes for any, uh, disabilities. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some common threads, but, um, each individual has uh, different needs and that can range from, uh, physical needs to, uh, communication needs to, um, you know, uh, uh, really, um, any, any sort of, um, you know, PT or, or OT needs, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, and that in, in includes sensory needs. So really part of the adaptive, um, piece is providing access and opportunity for these individuals, um, you know, in, in regards to, uh, you know, uh, removing or at least working through some di- different barriers or modifications or, um, accommodations that they might need, um, to really truly provide that access and, and uh, opportunity. Um, you know, for example, um, with individuals with, with autism who might have, you know, they might be nonverbal. Um, and so they communicate, um, you know, through, um, uh, a, some sort of visual system or signing or, um, some sort of nonverbal communication. Um, you know, that's definitely something that we would integrate into our, our, our lessons and utilize, or they might have different sensory needs. So we are very aware of, um, you know, the noise level or, um, you know, how we, you know, how we teach certain skills in the water. Um, and so that's kind of 
where the adaptive sport and, and physical activity piece comes in um, because, you know, each individual might have um, different learning needs or different lifestyle needs um, that we really try to make sure that we meet in order for them to have the same type of access and opportunity that, um, you know, other children or adults have. Okay. That's really interesting. Cause like you, it, it's kind of like this newer paradigm of the adaptive system of like, rather than trying to fit everyone into the same model, you're trying to look at each person as a case by case and say, what does this person need to learn or achieve at whatever rate? that works best for them instead of saying everyone should be progressing along this, you know, very fine line. You have to take into all the variables because everybody is their own unique variable for lack of a better, um, descriptor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and we really, we really understand the, you know, the need for a very, um, inclusive community. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, with, with an, inclusion that looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and we want to make sure that, you know, the inclusive piece really provides, you know, not only access and opportunity, but really high quality access and opportunity for these, these, these individuals. Um, you know, instead of just saying, okay, well, here's just the, some sort of general group lesson. Mm -hmm. We want to provide access. So have your kids sign up. Well, they might not be able to get what they need out of that. Um, and so really making sure we're providing high quality access and opportunity for, um, each individual is, is really our, our mission. That's awesome. So does, does this program have a name or is it its own separate entity at the school or is it just kind of wrapped yeah, up? Yeah. So, yep. So it's the Panther Academy for water safety. Cool. Um, that's, uh, that's our adaptive swim lesson organization. And we, we open up our, our program for, um, all ch children and adults, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we, we train our instructors to, um, you know, meet the needs of, um, you know, any child or adult with, with, uh, a special need, but we also, um, we have a lot of other children and adults who, who join our, our program. And, um, you know, we, we, we think, you know, there's a lot of value and, and everyone um, being together while still meeting everyone's needs. That's awesome. That's a really cool program because the, the fact that you kind of can bridge the gap between you know, those with special needs and those that just join it anyways, because they want to just learn is, is a really cool thing. Because a lot of times I would say the programs kind of get differentiated between, you know, special needs or it has a stigma behind it. Right. And then by taking this adaptive approach to it kind of makes it so it's tailored to the individual, even though it is a course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we, we've seen such a high, um, a high value that, that has come out of this. And our, our program has grown, um, extremely rapidly in the past six to eight months. Wow. And, um, and so we, uh, you know, we are excited to keep expanding mm -hmm. the, 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 the swim lesson side, but, um, you know, also working towards a, a, a bigger vision mm -hmm. of, of, of having a really comprehensive adaptive sports and activities program, um, you know, that provides all sorts of different sports and activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, um, just got done with a conversation with a, a local gym called Ninja U. Um, mm -hmm. and they're, they're awesome. They, uh, they've set up a, a gym, um, that has, um, American Ninja Warrior courses. Oh, cool. And That's really neat. <laughs> they, yeah. Yep. So their entire gym is set up with like different tracks for, um, American Ninja Warrior. Uh, and, you know, kind of from very beginner to, 
um, the elite level. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, they have competitions and they have classes and they have open gym time, but I'm actually working with them to create an adaptive, um, American Ninja Warrior, uh, program and open gym time. Uh, cause what they have, you know, already set up is, is amazing and, uh, it can provide a lot of, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, uh, kind of, um, to meet the needs of, of anyone who has that or, um, sensory needs mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and just provide, you know, even, you know, even more access to, um, you know, health and, and well-being. Uh, cause one of the things that, um, you know, I've collaborated a lot with, with Auburn on or have, a, have had a lot of conversations with is, you know, not only is the adaptive piece to provide, um, you know, curriculum and instruction for like skill acquisition, mm-hmm. you know, for like swimming, cause there's obviously the, the skill acquisition piece. So, um, you know, there's the water safety and, uh, the learn to swim piece, but then there's also, you know, definitely a high need for, uh, just the, the physical well-being and, and the physical yeah. activity. Um, cause, there's a pretty um, disproportionate percentage of individuals with, with disabilities who also have obesity related um, um, oh, okay. uh, concerns um, just because of the lack of access and opportunity to uh, those physical activity programs. And so, you know, not only is the adaptive piece for skill acquisition really important, but also providing programming for, um, you know, physical activity and just general wellness so we can, mm-hmm we can address that issue also. And, um, and you know, the setup that places like Ninja you have, um, and it, you know, locally is, is awesome because then there can be, um, you know, we can be meeting the needs for PT, OT, sensory needs, you know, some skill acquisition, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, gross motor skills, fine motor skills. But then also we can work on, um, you know, just the general physical activity and well-being yeah. um, side of things to kind of make a more holistic and 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 well-rounded program. That's awesome. I, I I'm a hundred percent in with that. Like the the idea of creating a system that allows the holistic wellness of like getting into the body and just learning how to move it effectively is, is a huge thing for me. It's been, you know, a paradigm shift for me from five years ago, of not being athletic at all to somehow managing to do tough mutters multiple times now and <laughs> doing things that a younger version of me would have thrown out the window and said, that's not even possible. That's not who I am, you know, very closed minded in in that paradigm of it. And to, to hear a place that wants to get off the ground by using the the, I guess like an outlier, so to speak, like a smaller subsection of the population to create these platforms for specific cases and then pulling it backwards to be more generally usable is, I think that's a really good way of being able to create effective, uh, program design to be able to attract as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and that's why we're, you know, continue to work with the, you know, as many, um, you know, either local organizations mm-hmm. or start our own programs that we can, um, yeah. you know, even, you know, we, we know, you know, based on research, all the benefits of even like, you know, yoga and, mm-hmm. and just general, you know, breathing skills related to that. And, and, and that does not, and, you know, and, and, and that doesn't stop with just, you know, the, the general population that, that includes everybody. We, yeah. we know, you know, yoga is good for everybody. We know that, you know, you know, breathing practices are good for everybody. Now how everyone, you know, learns that skill or has access to that is going to look different. So mm-hmm. we're, that's where we're, that, that's where we come in and we're trying to meet, you know, those, those needs. So, you know, when parents, um, with kids with, with, with special needs, when they're looking like, 
for, okay, I really enjoy yoga or mm-hmm. I really enjoy tennis or I, or I, I really enjoy golf. Um, you know, I would like my kid to have that same opportunity to at least try it. You know, mm-hmm. there are those programs, you know, locally and, you know, I, you know, hopefully we can expand to, you know, across the state and then hopefully nationally. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there are those opportunities there for, um, you know, for all, for all kids to have, to have the opportunity to, to try these different sports and activities out. That's awesome. It's basically just kind of having access to these things to say, Hey, maybe like, what if I do enjoy this sport or activity, whatever it winds up being? Cause like, I, it's like the idea of you don't know what you'll enjoy until you actually try it. Like you can't just look at it and be like, eh, not for me. And it's not until you actually got in the pool and started swimming or I don't know, played an instrument that like it hooked you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and we want to, yeah. And, and we want to make sure that, you know, all kids have the access to that. And so that's where we're, you know, we continue to work with, mm-hmm. um, you know, local, you know, organizations or, you know, um, as far as our organization, try to, you know, expand our, our programming. So, um, you know, we can, help remove some of those barriers or have the, you know, some modifications or accommodations so we can provide those, that adaptive programming. So, you know, so everyone, you know, has, has access to those things. That's awesome. So it, for me, it's like really apparent that you have this really sense of vision and like purpose behind what it is that you're doing currently. And, and so that leads me to ask, like, did you have a moment where you had like got hooked by a certain activity, like water being, probably the easy one here, but like, do you have like a story behind why you're so passionate about this? Yeah. So, um, there, there's one moment that I, I will uh, get to that really kind of was the catalyst to this whole thing. But, um, you know, I, I've known for a long time that there's, um, just a, a, a need, um, really, you know, locally, but across the state and across the nation for these, for these programs. And, you know, we, we know that, uh, drowning is the leading cause of accidental death for, um, children with autism. Um, you know, we know that, you know, there's a lot of obesity related, um, you know, concerns with, with individuals with, um, disabilities, you know, not, not all, but there's, you know, there's a disproportionate percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we know that, um, you know, especially locally, we're around a lot of, of water lakes and, and rivers, and so, you know, the water safety is, is a major concern. And so, um, we, we know that there's a huge need, uh, the kind of the catalyst, you know, that really elicited this emotional response for me, um, uh, was when I was teaching and, uh, I had a girl with, uh, cerebral palsy and, uh, you know, we had been working for a long time on, on just all sorts of, of different, um, you know, life skills and activities for daily living. And, um, we, uh, she was in a, um, in a wheelchair and she, uh, had somewhat limited use of, um, her arms and, and hands. And, uh, we, uh, got to a point where she finally was able to, um, brush her teeth pretty independently. And the, the look of pure joy on, on her face, um, the first time that she brushed her teeth all by herself was, um, really something that I will never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of opened my eyes to the opportunities that these, you know, all these kids should have and, and can have and what that means to them. Um, you know, for, for many of us, you know, I get up every day and I brush my teeth without, you know, even thinking about it. And it's just, you know, part of my life. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, for her, 
she had always had someone who had to help her brush her teeth. Yeah. And so for her being able to do that by herself was a major accomplishment. She was very proud of herself and it was, it was one of those um, moments where you could just see that she felt free. You know, mm-hmm. she felt, she felt a, you know, just free and able to really be herself. And, and that completely changed everything for her. Um, you know, and she went from being able to do that, then really seeking out new opportunities for trying to help more with, um, you know, uh, you know, cooking or cleaning or just different life skills. And all of a sudden you saw this confidence that she had, um, because she had that, you know, moment of freedom where she realized like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it might look different how I got there, but it, I, I can do this and I have this ability. I have this skill set. And that's really what we want for all kids is to, is for them to realize that. And, mm-hmm. and that was really probably the moment that really opened my eyes to like everyone, you know, everyone needs to have these opportunities. And, um, and, and that's kind of what kickstarted this, this whole thing for me. That's so cool. Like to, to just have that experience of seeing the, the, the pure joy of, of someone who for all intents and purposes, they couldn't do something or at least the, their predisposition was saying, Oh, I'm never going to be able to achieve something. And to put the things in place that allows them to, like, it's not like you're handing it to them. They're having to do the work too. And then for it to actually happen is, is such a cool experience. I can only imagine. Cause I, I just hearing you retell the story, I can just feel the emotion behind it. It's really, it's really cool. And, um, it's something we don't really appreciate too much in society. You know, the, the idea of empathy, I think is one of the things that through this podcast, I really try to pull out as much as possible, you know, just connecting with people one-on-one and hearing about the things that move them basically. And, and that, that is definitely one of those things. <laughs> so I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from there, it seems like you do a lot of, you're, you're very aware in, in general, like you have this sense of like analysis almost. I'm not hundred percent sure how to like describe it, but you, you've done like the work, like the homework to understand these, these ideas and these systems uh, at a deeper level than just like, these are things that like I am interested in. It's more of like, here are these things that I've learning and I'm applied them to myself, but now how do I take them and make them more broadly accessible is kind of the way I would describe it. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I would say to, to some degree, I've, I have always been, um, a little bit like that. And, um, I've, uh, I, I, I've definitely have been characterized over my life as, as kind of an, an old soul. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was definitely <laughs> the kid who, uh, was, you know, kind of, you know, in the corner doing a lot of reading okay. or, <laughs> you know, having, you know, having a, a lot of conversations with adults or people much older than me, um, and being very fascinated by those topics. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I've always kind of gotten, you know, a hard time for, for, you know, being the kid like during study hall where, you know, everyone else goes off the last 10 minutes and, you know, they're allowed to talk to all their friends. I'm just kind of sitting there still reading my book. Um, but, uh, so, uh, you know, that, that was, so that, that was kind of me, you know, in, in, uh, you know, junior high, but, you know, I've always been, you know, I, I just, I, I've, I've always been fascinated by, um, you know, people who really try to make a difference in the world and people who really try to, 
you know, elevate themselves and, and people around them. And there's something that's just, um, you know, really magical about watching these elite performers in really any field, um, and really how they got to where they are. Um, and so I, I, I've always, I don't know what, what fascinated me about that at a young age, but I was always very fascinated by that and really, um, watching the connection that a lot of these people had with, with others. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and for me, I think that part really stemmed from my, um, club swim coach when I was, I was very young. Um, and he, you know, for all in, intents and, and, and purposes, he, from a, a technical standpoint, he was, he was, um, a, a solid coach. Um, you know, I, I would not say he was the most elite coach from a technical standpoint that I ever met, but, um, he was the most amazing relationship builder. Um, probably I have ever met, um, his ability to connect with somebody, um, right away and deeply care about them was, you know, really, uh, very, um, incredible. And so, uh, just that, because I received that, mm-hmm. I wanted to do that for others. Um, and so, you know, that kind of combined with my, my fascination for, um, elite performers is kind of, um, what molded my, you know, personality and, into you know, what I have today. And, um, and then also, you know, obviously my, my background with my, you know, my mom, you know, being, um, a teacher and then, my dad being a chiropractor, so you know the health and, and okay. well-being part too was <laughs> you know a, a, you know a big part of my life, and so that that really um, that really kind of led me to you know how I think and and view the world. So wow. so a very long-winded answer to your question. So hopefully that a- that actually no, answers it, your your question. No, that's good. I, long-winded. That's the whole point of having podcasts. It's there's no no such thing as short, um, and that, I think that's really cool. Like. It, there's so much to unpack here because, you know, as you're explaining, you're growing up with having your nose buried in books. It's just like you're describing me for, <laughs> too, because like that's just where I came from initially was all buried in books and just absorbing information, be it from that or even History Channel instead of everyone else, what they were doing, watching MTV and Jersey Shore back in high school. I was watching. Right, how, right, exactly. How, I was watching how things were made, and <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so you're you're talking to a kindred spirit over here with that one, and then just to hear you explain like where the the sense of connection and and looking at like your coach having like a blueprint there, and then seeing your parents, which I found is actually kind of fascinating. Having your mom be a teacher and your dad being a chiropractor, it sounds like you you took qualities from both of their professions and kind of merged them in together into one thing, which is really interesting to think about with the the idea of wellness as like a holistic idea and then the just education is kind of like the cornerstone of all of that we're just teaching others which is really cool um from there we can talk about like books like any like your favorite books or books you've gifted to people um also the other part of that was like the looking at top performers in general and especially like even athletics i think if we look at them and they take their personalities and say, oh, it just so happens that they're a top performer in this sport because that's what they chose to apply themselves in. But the qualities that they have could transcend any discipline. It just so happens they picked the one that they're in. You know, that's at least that's how I get it. Like, especially with lis- listening to like Finding Mastery podcasts and things like that. So whichever yeah. one of those you yeah, want to take. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, no. So I, you know, I think, and I've been kind of on on this uh, kick lately, and I've been talking with my athletes, you know, about it a lot, and really been been thinking about it a lot. And part of it's from, um, so I'm gonna kind of blend the the two questions together. But mm-hmm. you know, part of it is from reading the the Culture Code, okay, um, which awesome is one of my book. favorite books, um, and then also um, a lot of the work that uh, Brene Brown does, and okay. then you know, and then just listening to the Finding Mastery podcast or other podcasts that have, um, you know, elite performers or, or top level people on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say one of the, one of the defining traits really is that vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, and then risk taking, uh, you know, they, they, they are willing to be vulnerable and not always, not always have the answer or not always know what the outcome is going to be mm-hmm. and take that risk, whether it's, actually physical risk or whether it's social risk or financial risk. Um, I, I think that is really, um, you know, when you look at the, the common thread between a lot of these elite performers, you know, those are, those are, are two of them. Um, and I think I'm so attracted to that because I, by nature, my, I would say my personality is, uh, much more risk taking. Um, you know, as far as physical risk, probably not. Like I'm not, I'm not much for like skydiving <laughs> or anything like that. Um, but as far as, um, you know, uh, you know, social risks or kind of career risks, um, I'm, I'm, that's definitely where my, my personality leans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to see opportunity and everything. Um, and so it, it's really fascinating for me to listen to, the people at the top and the path that they took to get there. Um, cause it's not just, Hey, I went through, you know, steps one through 10 and everything worked out great at each step. And, yeah. you know, and, and I, and I didn't fail at all. <laughs> just listening to them talk about the dark side of, of mastery or their mm-hmm. failures or having to be vulnerable, whether it was, you know, socially or with their career or with their spouse or honestly with themselves. Um, you know, is really, um, you know, a very common thread that you hear. And then, you know, just combine that with the risk taking, um, you know, those are very powerful, um, you know, movers for, you know, progress and, and, and improvement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's to me, I think it fine. I, when I listen to those kind of stories of the people, then they recount like their trajectory, so to speak, because it's so easy, or at least by the news to just look like a, a, a reel of highlights of like, look, they just climbed the mountain and it's like nothing, was a, a struggle for them. And then when you actually get to hear the actual story of it, it's like, Oh yeah, during that period of time I struggled, you know, and you hear the, the, the dark side of the, that curve of it. It's like, Oh yeah, it's a lonely road to, to be at the top. Right. You know, when, when you're at the top of your field, there's no one standing next to you quite literally. <laughs> and so it's, right, it's, right. it's those ideas that it humanizes people. Cause it's so easy to look at like the Muhammad Ali's or even like the Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk of the world and say, look at how great they are. But when you stop and think like, oh, yeah, when they were climbing that ladder when they were in their 20s, it wasn't like a sure thing that they would even make it or even be this multi-billionaire type person, right? And so you're, we're able to actually finally get these kind of stories of like in progress with podcasts, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm kind of doing that for myself inadvertently by interviewing all these people, <laughs> which is the strangest thing ever to kind of realize that I'm kind of creating this audio log of my own trajectory like tangentially yeah (laughs) right right yeah exactly and i think that's you know that's one of the things that you know i i I talk to a lot of our college athletes about or 
um, you know, a lot of the people I, I work with is, um, you know, it's, it's not a linear path by any mm-hmm. means. And it's not just, um, you know, it's not all sunshine and, and rainbows by any <laughs> means. And we, like, one of the things that we commonly talk about on our team is the, the, the difference between fun and fulfillment. Oh, um, that's cool. and yeah. And so that's, it's a, it's a hard concept to grapple with, you know, um, and, you know, we all, we all, you know, grapple with it, but, um, you know, as, especially like when you're talking with, with college kids, um, it's, it's, you know, fun is, you know, going to a movie or fun is going to the lake for a day. And those can be fulfilling things in, in different capacities, but mm-hmm. there's a bigger thing, you know, fun going to a movie and fulfilling and fulfilling is not always fun, um, in the moment there's a lot of, you know, there can be a lot of pain, whether it's physical, emotional, Mm -hmm. um, there can be a lot of uncertainty and discomfort and fear. Um, but that is, but that can lead to a lot of fulfillment, which is a much more meaningful feeling than fun. Um, and, and that's, and and that's something that we, we talk about a lot is, um, you know, cause I, I think for a lot of, and I don't, and I don't want to kind of, you know, target this group because I, I think it's, <laughs> it's across all age ranges. But you know, I think for a lot of people, and you know, especially college kids, they're looking for well, that's 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 not fun. I'm not enjoying that. Yeah. And I think there's when when you're saying I'm not enjoying that, you know, I I think it's really important to kind of differentiate is are are you just not having fun in the moment, or is it really not fulfilling because it's not your purpose and it's not your passion. And so I, I, I think that's a really important skill to develop. And obviously I'm still working on it every, every single day um, because it, it, it's easy to be like, Oh man, that's not fun. I shouldn't do this anymore. Well, you're right. It's not, it's not fun, but is it a necessary component to being fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the important piece to, to keep in mind um, because yeah, uh, fulfillment is not, you know, is is not always easy or fun or convenient by any means. Um, but yeah. at the end of the day, when you do have that fulfillment, it's much it's it's much deeper than just fun. You know, we always talk about fun being a very surface level uh, feeling, and mm-hmm. and fulfillment being much deeper. And I, I think that's where a lot of people get lost in, you know, finding your passion. I think people are looking for something that is going to be fun every single day, every single moment. And that's just not, that's not realistic. Um, you know, passion, passion is very fulfilling. Um, but it's not, not every single moment is going to be fun or convenient or easy. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a really important conversation and one that I I try to have with myself every day. (laughs) Yeah. How does that conversation look like? Is it, do you have like a, um, a personal statement that you tell yourself, like maybe not really a mantra, but like something that you can anchor yourself in or anything like that. Like, am I on the right track, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think for me, um, you know, the conversation really comes up like when I'm having those moments where it's like, Oh man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if, if, if this is for me, then I have to come back to you. Okay. What, what is, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and I think then that leads me down the road of, okay, so if this is my purpose, is this, is this specific activity moving me closer to my, my purpose? 
And if it is, then just because I'm not enjoying it doesn't mean it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and just talking myself through that piece is, you know, uh, really, really valuable. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Like you're really hitting on a lot of these like newer psychological frameworks with how we deal with like confidence issues or calming the mind or just dealing with like the internal turmoil or, you know, I like to think just kind of think of it as like an awareness of like, what is your state of your mind and the state of your body feel like every day or at the, at this moment and how activated I am with that. And with the, the fun versus fulfillment aspect of that, I think that really, it adds texture to that distinction, right? Cause like a lot of people think that fulfillment equals fun. Um, and it is for the most part, but being fulfilled doesn't, it's like a de- delayed gratification. At least that's kind of how I would have to look at it. It's like playing the long game versus the short game. Cause like you can do fun things, but then by the time you hit, you know, from, from my perspective, it's like by the time you hit 30, you, you, you know, you'll, you've done all these fun things and realize that you've built this life that you really didn't want in the first place, or you're not re- like, it feels hollow kind of, that's like where I go with like, I don't know if it's cynical, but that's just where I think about it. It was like society tells you all these things and you just respond. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, Oh, this is not what I expected it would be. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's exactly kind of my, my framework also is like, you know, there is, there is a time and a place for, um, you know, for fun. Um, and, and, and that can be a great recovery tool. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, and, and, and actually it was one of, um, Michael Gervais, um, the, the ebook that he put together and, and, and sent out to his email list. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things, um, it was, it was like the 13 traits of, of mastery. And, and there was one, I mean, they all really resonated, but there was one that really, really stuck with me. And it talked about, um, kind of redefining balance. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, okay, 50% of my time is work, 50% is fun. You know, it's (laughs) like there are moments where there's going to be a lot of sacrifice of fun in order for a higher purpose. Um, And then, you know, the fun can come in those moments of recovery. You know, if I, you know, if you, if you're at a moment of recovery and you're spending time, you know, for me, it's spending time with my, my wife and kids, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, you know, or reading a book, um, which can be fulfilling also and, and very informative, but you know, it, it can be, you know, just fun, um, in, in a form of, of recovery. And I think that that's a really important piece that's not balance does not always mean just this 50, 50 split of, of, yeah. I, I, I guess duties that knowing when to have the balance, you know, shift towards, you know, really just getting the work done and, you know, pushing yourself and, and, you know, feeling some pain and being uncomfortable. And then when the time is is necessary to pull back and recover and recovery can be obviously in a lot of forms, but, um, you know, I, I, that's, I kind of go back to that when we talk about, you know, where does, where does fun fit in? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that's an important piece is that balance does not mean, uh, an even split of, of duties all the time. It's, you know, there's, you know, it's shifting the balance one way or the other, depending on what you need. That's very cool. So if like for the funds, like you're saying, or it seems like you're saying like kind of fun and recovery kind of go hand in hand to some degree where it's like, you're trying to pull off the gas a little bit after you've, you know, kind of got across the finish line, so to speak. And, um, would you like, at least specifically with your athletes, do you like make a distinction about like watching it with alcohol in general? Cause this is a kind of a newer paradigm with, with all the new recovery apps and things like that, or like straps with like whoop and aura ring on how to quant- 
quantify recovery, right? Like with the signals within the body that show how well you recovered every day or from a hard workout or something like that. Cause I wear both of them for full disclosure. Like I, I wear both an aura ring and a whoop, uh, to track my daily recovery. And it's kind of like one of those things that I I'm obsessed with it. Like I know not everybody's going to wear these devices, but I think it's interesting to look at. And even if I'm an N of one, I can kind of look at things and kind of like get rules of thumb at the very least to kind of share with other people and be like, okay, I know you're not going to wear this thing, but here's this like the five things you can kind of pay attention to and you'll feel better. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's a big conversation that we have. Um, I mean, I, I kind of get a hard time from the girls. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of harping on sleep. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, cause I, I think so a few different thoughts, you know, one, you know, I, I think there's been a huge shift in, um, kind of the perception of, of sleep. Uh, you know, it used to be, you know, if you're, if you want to be successful, you have to grind and, yep. and never sleep and that kind of stuff. And I think that's definitely a shifted to <laughs> understanding that I sleep did. is a really, yeah, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of, you know, instead of having that, that mindset of I'll just sleep and I'm dead, it's like to perform optimally, I need to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and I think having those metrics like whoop, um, you know, whoop is something that I encourage our athletes to get. And we did have a couple of girls, um, you know, purchase it on their own. And I, cool. I think there's a, a ton awesome. of value to that. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, and obviously in the college realm, there's always a, a conversation about alcohol. And I think, you know, the common misconception is like, well, you know, alcohol only affects me that couple hours of that night. And then maybe the next morning, depending on how much I drank and really mm-hmm. the research, you know, shows that, you know, and, and, and whoop actually put out a lot of good data on this, that yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're talking, you know, four to seven days before you just return to your baseline. Yep. And, you know, and that's a big conversation that we have, like, okay, so if you want to drink, you know, there, there is cost associated with that fun. And Mm -hmm. so you have to figure out where, like, where do you actually fall on, you know, on that scale of, of performance. If you're, you know, if, if you're giving up three, four workouts a week because you're still, you know, recovering from that one night of, of bench drinking, like, is that, is that worth it to you? Yeah. And, you know, and, and then there is um, actually just something else I actually just read, you know, maybe four weeks ago, um, that was put out in like the average calorie consumption, um, after like three drinks is like 6,300 calories. Oh my um, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, we were extremely shocked by that too. Um, yeah, I, between, um, the alcohol consumption after three drinks and then, you know, the, the food choices that are made that night and the day after it's like an average of like 6,300. Um, so so that was a pretty staggering uh, number that, that we came across. And, um, and, and so I think so that, that that's part of the conversation too. So mm-hmm. it's not only are you still dealing with all the effects of the, of the binge drinking, but then you are layering that with, um, you know, really poor food choices that are obviously not proper fuel for your body, yep. you know, not just as an athlete, but just as a human being. Um, and so there's this, there's this layering effect. And so, you know, having that conversation on a regular basis, like the choices that you make, you know, every single day or, you know, you know, throughout the, you know, just throughout the day are going to lead to your performance, yeah. um, whether that's in practice or whether that's in a competition or the classroom or, you know, just, 
you know, your relationships with other people. It's, it's, you know, a culmination of all the choices that you make throughout the day and throughout the week and month and year. So those are all really important conversations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, just from looking at my own data sets, like the, the craziest thing for me was like the, the social accountability. Like if I drink about maybe one or two beers, like it's like really two or more and my recovery just drops off a cliff for the next day. And it's like the only way it wouldn't actually affect me is if I don't drink, like if I drank at like two in the afternoon, but if it's like anywhere near bedtime, it's like, it just is just awful. And so half the time it literally becomes a decision of like, I know that if I drink this beer, I'm going to see red numbers tomorrow. And it's like, I don't really want to do that to myself because <laughs> it's not, it's like just giving a visual representation of like what your body's actually going through. Like one of the cooler distinctions that we got from this stuff was the, like asking yourself if you have like a glass of wine or a beer with dinner and say you eat like a healthy dinner with like greens and, you know, relatively not a standard American diet, your body is going to optimize for getting rid of the alcohol because it's basically poison first. So the nutrients that you get from that food are basically wasted in general. I mean, it's not, I'm painting the picture very, <laughs> very simplistically, but that's kind of the idea. And so it's like, even if you're eating healthy and still decide to drink, you're really not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's, there's still this very, I don't know if it's just, um, an easier way to, to justify or if people still actually believe it, but there's this idea of like this canceling out effect. Um, which is just, <laughs> it's just, it's just not the reality. Um, there's, there's just costs associated with every decision that we yeah. make. Right? And then that's really, and that's really the reality. There's no like, Oh, well, I ate a salad so I can eat this piece of cake and they'll cancel <laughs> each other out. Like that's just, that's not, that's not really a thing. Um, and I don't know if that's just an easier to justify and, and not that you can never have a piece of cake, but I think it's really important for, you know, self-awareness to understand the cost associated with everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's part of why I'm so obsessed with recovery. Like the, I read the book, um, by Matthew Walker, why we sleep. And that kind of like just flipped the whole script for me. And it's probably the book I recommend most to anyone who will listen to me because it's just like, why are we not sleeping? Like <laughs> there's just, it, there's like no downside to it, it, it to sleep more or to sleep more effectively and just kind of nailing that home and like figuring out what works best for you. Because if you just perform better across the board, it doesn't matter, you know, what your passion is, so to speak. Like if you just perform better across the board than everybody around you, like not only yourself feels better, but like everyone that matters to you is also going to reap those benefits. That's like, at least that's what it comes down to to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's kind of what we talk about. Um, you know, when you have 35 athletes, um, you know, together a lot of the, you know, a lot during the week, you know, that's, that's a conversation, you know, as well. It's like, you'll, if you make a lot of poor sleep choices and it's affecting your mood or how you interact with your teammates, then that now is affecting them. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely a ripple effect that happens with that. Yeah. I, it's like one of those things that I've, I've finally realized. I, I don't think I ever really thought about the uh, idea of performance as like this, this like almost aura, like around you, like when you, are just performing better the others around you can kind of sense it and you you know you're just kind of more aware of these things and then it like allows you to again have like this idea of awareness to just 
be able to modulate your own responses to things, kind of like the the Viktor Frankl idea of like the the, the time between stimulus and response is, is really where this kind of comes from. And the more we're able to tap into that, the easier things get. Because especially when you're like doing a team environment with like a sport like, where that's like hypercharged with like in a competitive environment where you know, if you're down or some, someone just elevated, you got to be able to, you know, sense that at the very least and be able to kind of work around that other person rather than just getting frustrated. And then now both of you are <laughs> thrown off. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think that, you know, I think the collaborative nature or the collective nature of high performance, mm-hmm. um, you know, can be lost also. It's like, yes, there's, there's a lot of, um, individual accountability pieces and, and a lot of individual pieces with, with, with high performance, but mm-hmm. there is, uh, certainly a, you know, a collective, uh, collaborative, uh, process to it also. Yeah. I awesome. So we're just about an hour here real quick and I, I got to start getting going here, but, uh, some last few questions here to kind of just wrap it up. And so if you have either reiterate a few of your favorite books or even podcasts for that matter. And then any advice you give, like since you're a college teacher, this is kind of probably easy for you, but any advice you give a a smart driven college student about to enter the real world or advice they should ignore. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as far as podcasts, you know, we, uh, you found me through the, the finding mastery, um, yeah, group. And so obviously that one, um, the unbeatable mind podcast is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, with, with Mark divine, uh, the Jackal podcast. Yeah. Also, those are a lot of ones that I, I, I listen to as far as, um, you know, more just high performance or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, human performance. Uh, the, the just fly sports performance one is, is a really good one that, um, I, I, I listen to as far as more like sports performance on the athletic side. Um, and then, you know, books, uh, culture code, um, the talent code by, by Daniel Coyle, um, are all super good. Um, uh, peak by Anders Erickson. Okay. Um, the art of learning. Oh, Josh uh, Raskin's gem. (laughs) I love that guy. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, I'm trying to think, yeah, there's a, there's a number of them. Um, Brene Brown has a lot of good books. Daring greatly is is a Mm -hmm. great one. And that's kind of a good segue into, if you remember um, any more, I can always throw them in the show notes for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so that's, so yeah, the, and then I would say as far as, um, you know, advice I would give to, you know, college kids, um, or really, really anyone, is, you know, just be willing to take risks and, and be vulnerable. Um, you know, you have to, you know, in order to really seize opportunity, you're going to have to, you know, take some, take some risks and, and, and be vulnerable. And whether that's, you know, from a physical standpoint or, you know, emotional or, you know, social standpoint, it, it's uh, it, taking risks and being vulnerable are, are really the two keys to, you know, in my perspective to achieving what you want to achieve. Awesome. I love that. That's so good. It's, it's one of the biggest things for me is just, you know, being wearing your heart on your sleeve and, and not being afraid to show what you meet, like what you stand for, or, you know, kind of like the brain about brain now bound where she says, go first sometimes. I think it's yep. one of her quotes, quotes that she says. And I, I, I really like that kind of stuff. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me and it's really enlightening and I 
did not disappoint me at all, considering the the type of people and the caliber of people that seem to be part of uh, Finding Mastery and that whole tribe. Uh, as for full disclosure, I've actually taken the uh, Compete to Create course. I've done the online version. I actually attended the live event as well. So I got to do that live podcast that they did too. So that's, again, <laughs> all that community. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, it's really cool to kind of hear what you say and how much you've learned. And it sounds a lot like what Mike talks about in the podcast and things like that. It's really, really cool to see how this stuff is kind of growing its own legs. So it's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. And yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on your podcast and, mm-hmm. and, and giving me a chance to kind of share our mission and, and vision. And yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Please do send me all the links. I'll have links for people to go check out all your stuff and dig in from there. And hopefully it'll generate more interest and you can keep the ball rolling. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.